0: Hi, hello, my name is Maris and welcome to my show, Critical Root Zone, where we dig deep with inquiring minds to get to the root of sustainability, going below the surface to rebuild trust while supporting all voices on our journey to a climate positive planet. And so my guest for this next series on energy is one of my favorite people to be around, Professor Dodd Galbraith. So DAW has founded the Institute for Sustainable Practice and is the director of the graduate programs at Lipscomb University. And we're going to get to know a lot more about him and what he's done in maybe more than this, 37 years of sustainability. He'll let me know if this is is the correct uh, number of years, because I feel like your whole life, his whole life has been dedicated to sustainability. And um, I'm just super excited to talk to him because we've been friends for a while and um, it's it's fascinating, all of the conversations I've already had with him, and I'm pumped to do it on air. Welcome, Professor Dodd Galbraith, to CRZ. Thank you. I'm
1: very excited to be here. Been looking forward to this for a long time.
0: Me too. And thanks for never giving up. I feel like that's. Usually how, we, how I start off my episodes, I'm like, thank you for never giving up on, on getting on this show because we're all so busy, but thanks for being here. And no um, we're going to talk about energy. One of the, you know, you're an expert in so many things, truly. I want to just, I want to read off some things I, I found on the internet, on the intranets about you. Um, you founded the, the first Institute for Sustainable Practice in the Southeast, in 2007 and that's Lipscomb University where you are the director of the graduate programs today and you've studied sustainability throughout the US, China and eight European countries four mayors of Nashville and three Tennessee governors have appointed you to leadership roles you serve as the chair of the Metro Nashville Stormwater Management Committee which Aaron and Stort my guys here at the production team at, at Elm Hill Studios they were really excited about that and yeah you're you've at the state level You serve on the Tennessee Board of Water Quality, Oil and Gas, representing environmental interests. Mm -hmm. Um, And before coming to Lipscomb, you created Tennessee's first corporate sustainability consulting practice, URS Corporation. While serving two governors of both parties, you led a passage of six state laws to manage surface and groundwater use, designate a state scenic river and restore natural rivers and wetlands you've co-chaired one of the nation's first state environmental justice plans and i mean the list goes on which is like so incredible you've done so many things and and i'm i'm honored to talk to you about energy because it is such a wide broad topic yes um and you've got so much experience but This episode is specifically about you, Don. Oh, my goodness. It is. And and about what um, your timeline of things, because you've had a background in agriculture, and you've worked for government, and now in academia, and teaching other people all the things that you've learned. Um, So, yeah, would you mind giving my audience a little timeline of how you kind of got started and how you were inspired to be this person of many different backgrounds and expertise?
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd love to, you know, it's it, in a lot of ways. So uh, we'll kind of sum it up. If you live 60 years and you don't sit still, you know, you, you might get invited to do a few things along the way. And so I, I, I just got invited, you know, a lot, a large part of my life was shaped during my childhood. You know, I, I spent most of my time outdoors because it was safer. I spent, um, A lot of time, uh, excuse me, a lot of time working in nature on farms, in the woods, uh, you know, with with animals, uh, hunting and fishing. Um, My heroes um, as a child were people who were always trying to be sacrificial leaders, you know, trying to meet the needs of the moment. Abraham Lincoln was one, uh, John F. Kennedy was one, uh, Theodore Roosevelt um, was, uh, was a, a big factor in some of my early childhood development, and, uh, but, but oddly enough, I never thought of myself as ever working in uh, conservation or, the, or environmental work. It, it mm-hmm. just kind of evolved. You know, uh, one of the things that, that uh, I think shaped me most was um, my undergrad advisor at Tennessee Tech, uh, I, I met him—actually, uh, uh, my mother took me to, to Cookville uh, for the first kind of freshman orientation because I, I was this directionless kid. You know, I, I never really had a, a male figure, you know, kind of, uh, uh, um, you know, invest in my life consistently. Uh, and uh, so I was a very directionless and—, and uh, this professor walked up and said, "What are you interested in doing?" And I have I have really no idea. And he said, "Well, follow me." And I, I told people at one of his uh, uh, appreciation dinners years later that I'd been I was kind of following his advice ever since. But um, yeah, he saw things in me that I, I didn't see, and um, he introduced me to uh, uh, the Soil Conservation Service uh, as a as a trainee. And, uh, you know, I was blessed to have an employee, uh, employer relationship with the, with the gentleman who was a World War II veteran uh, who um, said, you're going to stay in the office for the first three or four days to a week, and you're just going to read manuals about societies that have failed because they didn't take care of, of their natural resources. Yeah. And and I had never read anything sort of that global or, or, or that broad and, and hadn't really thought about the consequences of environmentalism and conservation being something that would cause societies to collapse. And, uh, and it really got my attention. Um, and for some reason – you know, uh, I guess because I had so many diverse experiences as a, ki- as a kid, we traveled a lot by car in, in, in the 60s and 70s. You know, that's how everybody vacationed was on those long driving trips. You know, you'd sleep in the back window of the car, and you'd look at the sky and see everything around you mm-hmm. as it went by. So you'd see a lot of the of, of the real estate because you wouldn't be staring at a phone, a, a cell phone in your lap or an iPad. And, um, and we did a lot of different things. My mother always made us stop at different historical historical markers and historical sites and make us kind of absorb that so i could see the interconnection of things across time and because i spent so so much time outdoors i could also see the interconnection between things in the environment and so when this uh, world war ii veteran took me to the field he, he started showing me how conservation gets put on the ground and uh um uh, I began to ask myself questions. If, if we're going to put a ditch here or we're going to put, a, uh, put a, a, a terrace that will cut this soil erosion in half on this particular slope, where we dump the water means that it's going to either be dumped in the right place or uh, that's either going to be stable for that water to, to um, flow across or it's going, to be, it's going to create a lot of energy that's going to create a lot of instability, and that's what we were trying to stop. And then I started thinking about well who's gonna be downstream of that water, you know, who's gonna be affected by that water? Are they getting more or less? For some reason, you know, these are questions I just kept asking people. And I and at one point I I realized I did not have the skills to put those questions to solutions and, and to find answers for those solutions. And so I went back to graduate school, and, uh, and that's partly why I'm, a, I'm still teaching in a graduate program now, because it changed my life. And um, so in graduate school, I learned how to be a critical thinker, how to organize my thoughts, how to, how to go look for knowledge I didn't have in peer-reviewed literature, you know, how to contact people and pester people you know, and ask them their advice— Um, and I developed, yeah, (laughs) exactly. And, uh, and then, um, uh, yeah, you, you remind me a lot of me (laughs) back in my younger days. And, uh, but in, in particular, i you know, it just gave me a lot of confidence, you know, it gave me a credential and, and my, I had this odd dream because some of my heroes were politicians like Lincoln and Roosevelt. You know, um, I thought, well, I'd like to work for politicians. I learned, I really didn't have the thickness of skin to be a politician and I'd actually explored that before I went to graduate school and decided not to do that and um, over over that process of uh, you know developing a proposal that involved you know what would Tennessee what should Tennessee's wetland conservation policies look like Mm -hmm. I got a job in the governor's office doing that very thing Wow. And uh, partly after giving a couple of talks and, and interacting with people who, who saw that my research work was related to something they had been working on for about five years. Uh, but oddly enough, I had also had um, experience with um, a Republican kind of Barry Goldwater uncle, father figure. He was there kind of part time. And two yellow dog democrat parents and so i never saw anything as not being a bipartisan community you
0: said yellow
1: dog yellow dog yeah that's an old-fashioned southern term <clears throat> yellow dog democrats are people who would vote for any de- democrat including a dog
0: okay,
1: <laughs> that, uh, that, okay. Was, that was the, that was the saying in those days very loyal democrats is what it means okay And uh, and so I I, I never knew anything but a bipartisan, you know, approach to things. And so I started with this Democratic governor, and I didn't have enough sense at the time to know not to go to work in the eighth year of a two-term, term-limited governor. (laughs) So I was only there a year. So when this Republican governor came in— he, um, his team, one, a member of his team, Leonard Bradley, you know, bless his heart. And that's that's not the Southern phrase, bless their heart. That's the positive phrase, <laughs> bless his heart. He blessed me, you know, because he was a big fan of policy and planning, and he kept me on. Wow. And, and he introduced me to Governor Sunquist, and then later to Justin P. Wilson, who became Commissioner of Environment, and, and then who replaced Leonard as policy advisor. And then they introduced me to Milton Hamilton, who became – commissioner of the environment and he'd been a state senator for many, that's many for TDEC. years with with yes yeah, with t and milton had all these stories of all these old-time politicians and all these uh, deal-making exercises that he had observed and that's when we started passing all that legislation and because of my planning background we did the environmental justice plan and we did water infrastructure plans and Uh, You know, we ended up passing a law that kept Atlanta from stealing water out of the Tennessee River, Mm. which Atlanta's my hometown, you Mm. know. So there's just all these crazy kind of connections. And then, um, you know, graduate graduate experience came out of, you know, graduate teaching, and that whole experience came out of basically kind of a a career collapse because, uh, you know, after working for a Democrat and then a Republican, a Democrat came in that didn't particularly – Uh, have a good experience with the previous two governors because they both worked against his gubernatorial bid, Mm -hmm. uh, Phil Bredesen. And so Phil Bredesen kind of wanted his own team. So I got kind of moved into a lower level staff position. It was clear I I wasn't going to be able to do what I used to do because of that political dynamic of just wanting your own team, which is okay. And so um, I started looking for things to do because I'm just, I like to work hard, and I started building rain gardens and um, started planting trees, to started going back to basics. Because yeah. uh, at any time, I think, when life gets difficult, um, it really helps to go back to basics and just kind of regroup. And then a consulting firm called me, and then Lipscomb became one of my first clients. And then the president of Lipscomb said, how would you like to teach people what you're doing in consulting? And I've been at Lipscomb yeah. for 15 years.
0: I just That is a very cool story, and I relate so much to Back to the Basics. Yeah. I think in all aspects of my life, that's, that's what I've had to coach myself in those hard moments, just just keep it simple. Yeah, And I think that's a great thing to tie yourself to in the environment when, when things are just becoming confusing and overwhelming and we're all talking about these different things that seem over our heads just go back to the basics.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, just go back to what you did well, you know, at a time in your past. You know, I'd, I knew that if I had, you know, when I was a 20-year-old, I had to build ponds that would hold water year-round, you know, for livestock. You know, and when this whole rain garden and bioretention thing came out, I thought, well, surely I could build something that leaks. Because <laughs> <You know>, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what it does, you know. Yeah. And, and the hard work and the manual labor after being... In a political world, sure. wearing suits every day, going down the General Assembly on, on a fairly regular basis mm-hmm. uh, and you know, interacting with the media and doing all that intellectual work, it felt good, again, to get my hands dirty and to create things and to solve problems at a small, manageable scale. Yeah. And it rejuvenated me, and it it frankly kind of healed what felt like a traumatic experience yeah. at the Refreshed time. Refreshed you, inspired yeah. you, yeah. put you back yeah. on
0: the map. Yeah. I think I think all jobs should really have some sort of outdoor you know we have recess when we're kids so where did that go you know like why don't we have and and i see more companies doing this being on the board of the Mm -hmm. tennessee environmental council we have these projects for any company to come and plant pollinator gardens with us and plant trees with us and do pickups and things like that and i think it's so important to come together and recognize what what we have to do as a, a society and a community in order to make this thing better. There's the little things, the back to the basics, yeah, the little things matter.
1: It, it, it really does. I mean, it, I you know, I tell my kids and my students all the time, you know, that I, I, I probably should should dumb it down even more and, and say, you know, you, you need to go to, to the playground occasionally and just be a kid. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what I often... Uh, have very little time to say and I usually say it like this is you know you need to rest you need to eat well I right. need to take care of the people around you and, and make sure that they understand why you're having to take all this time out away from them while you're in grad school but those fundamental things uh, like um, all the, the UCL, UCLA coach that coached all those great pro basketball players I can't remember the guy's name but um, he used to show his players how to put on socks that was their first lesson when they arrived at UCLA was that they had to go there's through a
0: specific a, way to put on. socks. There's a
1: specific <laughs> way to put on socks so that you don't get blisters and so you don't damage your fingers. Your feet are the yeah. foundation of your basketball game. And, foundation. Yeah, and this is like a, wow. a multi, you know, uh, tournament winning, you know, college basketball coach. Very famous individual written lots of books on. But yeah, leadership. Starts with the foundation. Well, of he things. started with things like, you know, sometimes you need to go play on the playground.
0: And what you said about getting rest and taking care of yourself—that all relates to something that I've been really res- researching more. Is just I'm really fascinated with humans and their behavior and the way that they act in their lives and how it affects people around them, and how it affects our scope of the environment and the planet. Yeah, it's it, it's it starts and it starts here, and then it. Radiates from you, around you, and your and your peers and your community, yeah. and then from there, it's this d- giant wave of energy, right? Yeah. And yeah. so Lipscomb is a faith-based school. Yes, and I think that's really cool to talk about as well because um, I've had a really interesting journey with faith. I was brought up Catholic, and I didn't feel really connected to God in total just a few years ago yeah, yeah. and that was my own healing my own recovery and um re- researching sustainability really brought this light out of me and and i had been kind of in a i can't say a dark space because most of you that know me i'm a i'm a bright happy human being and i'm um, like everyone though we have our moments that mm-hmm. you know we 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 think about what are we doing what is my purpose why am i here and oh. um what is the purpose of any of this yeah. um and having faith, and then kind of playing into the energy idea, right? Everything is made up of energy. Yeah. And you know, we we don't think about that on a regular basis.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I think what you said at the beginning of that of that uh, com- of those comments too really mattered, and that is that uh, you know how we experience situations in human relationships could make such a big difference in how fast we solve problems sure. and how fast mm-hmm. we. Connect with each other because you know most of the problems we experience today have to do with um, you know individually created outcomes that didn't connect well to the system and and so there's no way to solve them now without breaking down tribes and becoming one tribe. Yes, it's a really big thing. But going back to your to your uh, uh, faith question, uh, yeah, uh, you know the at its fundamental level, you know. You know Jesus's example as a human is really quite fascinating. You know, um, uh, the Bible says he was God, but he was also human, and he had to become human. He had to give up his godlike existence uh, in order to walk with us and show us how to connect with each other right. and how to love of each other. And if you kind of tick off some of some of the more kind of commonly known behaviors. You know, he, um, he always focused on people who were kind of hurting the most. He fed people who were hungry. He healed people who couldn't be healed. But uh, he also cursed a fig tree, and he also turned tables upside down in the, in the synagogues where money changers were taking advantage of a healing environment to make profit. And, yeah. and he was trying to make a point that they were inappropriately doing that in a place of healing and joy and love and, and faith development. Mm. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, he, he lived a short sacrificial life. You know, suppose he only lived about 33 years or so, 32 years, whatever, whatever that number is. And, um, uh, and in the process of, of uh, living out sort of Old Testament you know, ceremonial sacrifice. You know, he was treated very badly by being crucified on the cross, but he overcame it. Uh, And instead of, um, you know, becoming more powerful in overcoming death and conquering nations and destroying uh, evil palaces, uh, one of the first things he did was to go to the people who uh, were hurting the most after having lost him Mm -hmm. and reminding them hey, you're human, but now your job is to take care of other people. Your job is, is not to dwell on these mistakes that you made or this, this loss that you feel or this grief that you feel for having lost this regular relationship with me, but now as you need to turn that energy towards others. And so, you know, it's, it's really hard for most human institutions to do that well yeah yeah and and because because we're much more human than his human form was you know we're going to mess that up even more you know greed or fear or past traumas uh you know that are informing our current behaviors are going to you know um make a, a perfect approach towards dealing with with each other a lot less perfect than it should be right and so you know one of the things that sustainability I think does really well at Lipscomb is kind of go back to those basics you know it's it's a, it's a complete problem solving it's it's one tribe instead of individual tribes fighting with each other it's multiple disciplines working together in a transdisciplinary way much like you would bake a cake you know flour water and milk and sugar and and all these other ingredients are all independent until you put them together and you get a much better outcome and that's that's what it's meant with people as well analogy yeah and um and then because of Lipscomb's history you know we were founded by a fellow who uh when all the other wealthy people in town would leave during the big disease epidemics he would get in his buggy and go down to the Catholic nunnery and pick up the nuns, and they would go work with the sick. You know, he didn't leave town. And uh, when he died, he left his land for a, a, a university. And um, and when uh, and before that, uh, as a boy, his parents. Um, uh, the documentation is kind of sketchy on this because there weren't really good records then. But from what we can gather, um, his family owned slaves uh, almost 30 years before the Civil War. Mm-hmm. They decided to free those slaves. They couldn't do it in Tennessee because at the time there was a tax on freed slaves. So you had to pay the equivalent of the price of a farm just to free your slaves. So that tells you how much in law they wanted to protect slavery. Wow. So they took those slaves up north in freedom. And while they were there, his, some of his uh, siblings and his mother died in a flood. But when they came back to Tennessee, the mother that married his father, that kind of took over his parenting, was the person who taught him uh, a lot about his faith and, and made him who he is. So, you know, I, I guess the reason I shared all that is it, it, it makes the point that when we make mistakes and when life goes wrong, there's always this opposing force for good that's competing with it that is always going to out-compete it, even though it hurts really bad and it's a big mess in the process of getting it cleaned up. But there's always good out there trying to use it in a way that's going to be much better than it was before.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, so I, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's a real blessing to work at a place like Lipscomb, but it was always a blessing, you know, to work in federal government and state government. And In you know, a lot of ways, I feel like that uh that Seinfeld episode where George says Kramer is the guy that who's whose uh life is a vacation I don't I don't know why he's taking a vacation and he falls rear end backwards into <laughs> into business deals and other, so I've kind of fell you know rear end backwards into into all these amazing I things and it's it's been a great ride
0: I love that well this is I we're just scratching the surface but um this is the first episode this is it guys I wanted you to meet Todd uh, Todd <laughs>
1: Todd. I'll answer to that, too. Todd.
0: Um, For Professor Dodd Galbraith, um, thank you for sharing your story. And we're going to be talking about energy. I have a feeling we're going to get into lots of different things, but we're going to go back to the basics. We're going to simplify what fossil fuels mean, what they are. We're going to talk about green energy, and we're going to get into a little bit about what the energy grid looks like in the country and in Tennessee. Because there's actually there are things I learned from you just this year that I had never known just by coming and hanging out at Lipscomb a little bit and shadowing a class or two. Been thinking about joining the team, so there's always that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like what we're going to be up for in the next couple of episodes. And I want you guys to know that you don't have to know anything. We got the expert here, so, so if you want to so come, cold. yeah, take some <laughs> notes. You get a free, uh, free lesson here from from the professor, the head director of the graduate program at Lipscomb. And of course, this is an open conversation, so I'd love to hear from anybody give me an email, shoot me an email, criticalrootzone at gmail.com. This uh, beautiful production studio that I'm at, Aaron and Store, these guys are Elm Hill Studios here in Nashville, Tennessee, and they're so amazing to work with, easy, um, and just awesome. So if you have questions about that, let me know. And then until the next episode of CRZ, this is something I've been working on, we can only love the planet when we love each other. And until we love ourselves, we can't do any of that, so... Ask questions, inspire other people to be better, to do better, and we can do anything when we're united. Thank you for listening to Critical Root Zone. If you'd like to reach out, email us at criticalrootzone at gmail.com. Critical Root Zone is produced in Nashville, Tennessee. Copyright 2022.